their voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted? And you see it not. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? So here's people that say, I'm drawing closer to God. I want to be closer to God. I want to be righteous. But how come we're seeing no fruit, no results in our fast? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. In such the fast that I choose a day for a person is to humble themselves. It is to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Oh, cool, it's up there. Thanks, Greg. You will call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Now God begins to explain the fast that he's called. Is not this the fast that I chose? To loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? And you see the naked, and when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call on the name of, of the, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. A fast, this is the cool thing about a fast. A fast is so you can be effective. A fast is so you can produce kingdom things. A fast is not about going without it's about gaining. It's about adding to. It's about drawing closer to God. It's about saying no to the things of the flesh, but yes to the things of the Spirit for the purpose of righteousness being established. And so as we're ending our fast, I get to eat tacos again, okay? But more than that, it's wow. Did you see the blind? They see. Did you see the lame? They walk. Did you see this? Did you see this? What God is doing is awesome. Years ago, quite a few years ago, Carrie and I uh, got married in 1981. Wow. You were three, right, roughly. Don't tell the police. Um, she was young. I was a tad bit younger. And we got married and uh, in March and, and then... During the summer, the Lord spoke something to me. I mean, it was, it was a life changer. However, I had no idea because the only thing he spoke to me, he said, October 28th. Cool. October 28th. I hear you, Lord. What about it? October 28th. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, what's going on October 28th? October 28th. 
And I kept getting October 28th and nothing more. So I started going around and asking people that were spiritual, genie. I said, genie, God said October 28th. Genie said, cool. What about it? I said, I don't know. Help me out. Jeannie said, I don't know. I asked a few others that were leaders at that time around me, and I, none of them knew. I went back to, as it was getting closer to October, I went back to Mark and Jeannie, and I said, I'm still there and still hearing October 28th, but I don't know what it is. And up until this point, we have been fasting as a church every Wednesday. The fast clock would start when the strike of midnight, Wednesday morning. And all day, for 24 hours, we would fast. And at the strike of midnight, time to eat. I remember going up to the lake on vacation at Higgins Lake, and we fasted that Wednesday. And at about 11 o'clock, Rex Webb, who was the pastor at that time, started setting the table, 11 o'clock at night. There's a whole bunch of us up there. All of a sudden, there's a campfire outside, and the hot dogs are getting set out, and all the silverware and stuff is being put out. And, man, it hit the strike of midnight. Those hot dogs were already cooked, going in the bun, and we were eating because the fast was over. I remember those were disciplined days, but I don't remember them producing much. They did. For those that understood fasting, for me, it was just like starving this frail body of mine. But thank God I never exposed a rib in all those years. And Jeannie, though, when I went back, and it's in October, and she said, I think God wants you to fast. I went, oh, for the day? I don't know. You're going to have to ask. So I said, okay, Lord, October 28th, can I, I'm going to fast. And he goes, good. How long? Good. How long? It'll be good. And I didn't have an answer. I went to another leader, and I said, I'm supposed to fast October 28th, starting October 28th. I don't know how long. And they looked at me and said, 40 days. I said, how do you know? And how dare you say that to my face? Because Jesus did. Oh. Okay. Well, can I have a snack? Can I do something? And finally, I said, Lord, is it 40 days? Yes. I went, okay, 40 days it is. Who knew it was going to be difficult? I didn't know. And then I heard three days. What about three days? No water. What? Don't we die after three days with no water? Three days with no water. So I said, October 28th, I'd, I'd fasted three days. No food, no water. Fourth day, I drank water. And I was th- but during those three days, he didn't say I couldn't brush my teeth. <laughs> so I brushed my teeth. We went to Nebraska in, right after Thanksgiving, and it was in the middle of the fast. I fasted through Thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, we were, on our, we were in Nebraska. And we were carrying our singing out there. And uh, I began to become very very sensitive. And how long is this? This has been almost a month. Very sensitive all of a sudden to the voice of God. 
I can hear God like he's talking next to me. Not just impressions or not just vague things, but conversations became real. It became in-depth. Gethsemane, we formed a band, Gethsemane, when I was in college with, my, with Carrie and myself and a room, my roommate, Rick. And, uh, and he was with us. He was playing the piano as we were singing out there. And, and uh, we, we had set up some concerts. We had put a band together at this time, a full band. And we were going to be playing at, uh, at Central Michigan University. And, the, and the con, that concert at Central, uh, we had called and invited all our friends because we'd both been in college up there, Rick and I, uh, was at a large hall in Central. We had, it was the last, my fast was going to end at noon, and then we were going to have that concert that night. So at that concert, and we'd been playing, and we'd, you know, we'd led a few people to Christ and, and whatnot, but at that concert that night, when that fast was over, God moved in a miraculous, powerful way. And I remember uh, uh, a person that was at the concert that couldn't walk, that got up and walked. I mean, we didn't even lay hands on them. They just decided that they were going to get up because God healed them. We had an altar call and had several hundred kids at Central Michigan University come to Christ at that point. We began to see, a few days later, we were at Michigan State University, and in the middle of a concert, middle of the show, a blind person had the audacity to get their sight and come up to the stage with friends and testify what God was doing. We saw all sorts of miracles. We saw people get born again. We went down to a place, uh, an Episcopal church. They were having a youth rally at an Episcopal church. And starting with the priests, every one of the people that were at this Episcopal Church youth rally get born again. God began to move powerfully as we begin to see the testimonies of the fast that the Lord has chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke begin to happen as fast as the fast began to produce fruit. Not because we went without food. It's because during the time there was a seeking the presence of the Lord and walking in the midst of a determination to not be the same, but to walk in the Spirit. <laughs> we went to a, a, a church, and I think it was over near Grand Rapids. And, uh, and this is the other thing that's going to happen during this time. And, and Jesus ran into this as well. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 9, verse uh, 33 through 38, when, and uh, when the demon had been cast out, the, man, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled. This is Matthew 9, 33 through 38, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. I'll stop there for a minute. We went over to this church, and we've been seeing all these miracles, and we were testifying to how God heals and moves. And we were at a big Baptist church. And then I, Carrie and I were talking about it yesterday, and, and one of the members of the band, had, had, I can't remember how it even went, but said something, and there's a man there in a wheelchair. And, uh, and we were ready to lift him out of that wheelchair and watch God do a miracle. 
he wasn't ready for that. And he came up and he said, I can reach a lot more people in, from my wheelchair that are in wheelchairs than you can. And we said, well, you can reach a lot more if with the testimony of Jesus that says he raised you up and healed your body. And we were immediately kicked out of the church and never invited back. <laughs> Jesus ran into that as well. But God wants you to be in all things like him. The fast is part of that transforming process. I remember when Pastor and I got to, well, Pastor got the call, quickly invited me to go to Rwanda with him because there was genocide and a lot of shooting and stuff going on over there. And one of the things, the phone call came, said, we need you to bring, to bring worship. So can you bring a piano? Sure, it can't be too hard to take a piano, right? Well, the piano seemed to be a little bit beyond what, first of all, weight restrictions were at the airport. We got it down there, and it was too heavy. They refused to take it on the plane. So we said to the guys there, it's got to go, got to take the piano. It's very important to our trip. Finally, we talked to the, the, the person that was taking the luggage, you know, there at the airport. Okay, I'll put it on this ramp, but it is not going to go through. It's way too heavy. Put it on. Lord, in Jesus' name, whatever it takes, send that piano through. The right people taking it, the right people doing it. We got to Kigali, Rwanda, and off the uh, getting our luggage, sure enough, here comes this anvil case with the piano in it. We get it in there, and the first thing that happens is the, the uh, person that's searching your bags and stuff, he said, what's this? And I said, it's my piano. He said, are you going to leave it here? I said, it's my piano. He said, are you going to leave it in the country? It's my piano. I did, the Lord said, that's how to answer him. Told me that over and over. Just tell him it's your piano, which it was true. And finally, out of frustration, he closed the case. And he goes, "That's your piano," and he let us take it through. And while we were there, the first night, Dan and, and uh, Melinda Kaler picked us up, and first thing we got back to their house, and it was—I mean, it was the wickedness and the darkness in Rwanda at that time. In Kigali, was immense. And she said, set up the piano. We need to worship. So we set up the piano and we began to sing and worship. And the presence of God came in to the house. And she says, this is the first piece I've experienced since this genocide and this killing began. As the presence of God began to minister. The next morning, we drove around the city and saw what God had to do. And it was, it was overwhelming to me. Thank God it wasn't overwhelming to him. But it was, there was death and there was destruction and there was wickedness everywhere. So we set up the piano the next morning at the church. We began to worship. Nobody was there. 6 a.m. as the sun was coming up. Turned on the generators because there was no power. Began to worship. And by the time the first song was over, the building that we were in, which was probably half the area of the sanctuary was full of over 400 people wedged in and beginning and were worshiping. And I would sing. And then 
their choir would sing in Rwanda, and I'd just pick up whatever it was they were playing, singing, and accompany them. And we began to worship, not just songs, but we began to worship in spirit and truth in the presence of the living God. And this city, there was a testimony later of how the city had changed from that. But I asked the question as we were out and about, and I'm looking, and I said, well, there's a Methodist church, and there's the Episcopalian outreach, here's the Orthodox, here's the Catholic, there's the Jewish synagogue, here's all these organizations. Why was it so desperate that we come? Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said this to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, I therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. My question, why did we have to come smuggling a piano? I bet you there's one at the Methodist. I bet you there's an organ and a piano at the Episcopalian. I grew up there. Don't all the, what, what happens? What's going on here? And I think this scripture is what, this was part of our, our Bible reading. If you're reading through the Bible in a year with us, not too, just a few days ago, speaks to that. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit. The harvester is ripe and it's ready, but the laborers are few. But yet I looked around Rwanda and I saw all these potential laborers. Well, here was the issue. And I think the church has missed focused on this scripture when they focus on the harvest. Well, doesn't want people, God want people saved? Yes. Doesn't God want people, God, people into the kingdom? Doesn't God want that? Yes. What had Jesus just been doing? He'd been going about casting out demons. He went teaching, proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease and every affliction, having compassion he says, go into all the world because there's a great harvest. Then in chapter 10, verse 1, and he called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. We need to send out laborers, but it's not about how many. It has everything to do with what kind. What do they look like? Here was a Methodist church that was producing laborers that looked like them. The Episcopal aliens were creating laborers that looked like them. So were the Orthodox, so were the Catholics. And Jesus was saying, but I don't want laborers that look like you. I want laborers that look like me. I need men and women who do what I do because I'm the example of what the harvester looks like preaching the gospel and proclaiming liberty and not only proclaiming it but producing it not only dealing with the sick but making sure the miracle comes to pass and that's what i need 
in the harvest field. Rwanda had a lot of churches, but they didn't have anybody that was producing the gospel. And all of a sudden, and I'm not saying Pastor and I were anybody special. We said yes. And worship began to happen. Angels would show up and begin to sing, and people would hear them sing, not only in English with me. I heard them sing in English. So did Pastor. But they were hearing them sing in Rwandan, Kiryawandan, Swahili, Dutch, same angel. They were hearing the same angel sing the same song I was singing in their own language. Then we would begin to speak and begin to, to, to minister, and God would begin to heal. One of the times, there was a, a man on a mat. I didn't even see him brought in because the place was so crowded. And all of a sudden, if you ever heard the 1950s Western movies when the Indians would, they got it from them. These people begin to shout and scream, and, and this guy, and I've shared this testimony, is running around the building, and my interpreter, his name was Charles. I found out later his name was Charles so that I could remember his name. It wasn't really his name, but he, he picked it because of me. Anyway, Charles, what's going on, Charles? Why come you're crying so hard? Why can't you talk to me? Pastor's interpreter that chose Oscar, I don't know, instead of Richard, Oscar, can you help me? Yes, I can. He says, you see the man running? Yeah, that's Charles's father. A little more. Help me out. Oh, he was the one that's brought in on the mat. He's been paralyzed from the neck down for 15 years. And God raised him up and healed him. And we'd begin, if whatever sickness, whatever, we want to lay hands on you. We watched people come with growths. There was a woman that came up and pastor laid hand on this mammoth it wasn't grapefruit. It was close to basketball size in the back of her neck right here. And as he touched it, it just disappeared. It just disappeared off her body. We saw all sorts of, of tangible miracles. A little boy came up, and he was so cross-eyed that all you could see was white. And I laid hands on him and commanded his eyes to be straight. His eyes immediately came straight forward. And he closed his eyes with his hand. So he got, I'm thinking if I was the first person that I ever saw too, I think I'd be frightened. Oh, my gosh. And his mother is screaming as God delivers him. And, the, and, the, and the, the talk began to spread. And more people came. And as far as the sound would carry outside of this hut, because it had no windows or doors, it had openings but not windows or doors. As far as the sound would carry, the people were gathered to hear. And one time, even, even they sent some government agents. People were disappearing, especially from this church, put into prison, never to be seen again. And all of a sudden, there's three guys. It's, it's, it's 1,000 degrees here, right on the equator in Africa. And three guys are sitting in the back wearing trench coats, I was preaching, and as I was doing the altar call, at one point, I noticed they all three tried to stand up at the same time, and literally, they got halfway up. And for the whole altar call, they're in this position, whole altar call. And it's, it's an hour, hour and a half, maybe, maybe more, as people are being prayed for, and they don't move. And finally, it, it was to the point where, you know, the, the grace was lifting, and, and the service was over, and... and uh, 
um, pastor had disappeared. Uh, but Dan, and who knows? But Dan, Dan said, are, are you finished? I said, well, I don't know. He says, why is that? And I said, those three guys right back there. And he goes, okay, then if that's all, you're finished. I'll tell you about them in a little bit. It's okay. So we concluded, and, and I looked, and they were gone. They were, they were government. They were there to not only spy, but to disrupt. As soon as I started the altar call, they were going to shut it down. God froze them. Pastor went back. The Lord told him to go back, sit or get right beside him and begin to pray. And he said the whole time their eyes are darting back and forth, but yet they can't move nothing. All they could do is listen and watch. And God was absolutely amazing. What is that from? I mean, we spent time fasting before we went. Not so that we could, you know, be sleek and look good and when we got there, but so that we could hear the voice of God and move in demonstration and power. And hear Jesus. You don't think when, when the Pharisees, the leaders of the day, came out and said, man, Jesus, you're of the devil. He didn't want to say, this might not be worth it, Lord. This not, might not be worth it. But here God says, no, it's worth it because of my love. And I want you to go out, and I want you to bring in the harvest, but I'm your example. Jesus wants workers that look like him. John 10, 26 and 27 says this, but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So the question is, what is the example that we follow? So right after talking about the harvest field, Jesus calls his disciples and he gives them the same authority to produce the same results as he did. Not as they saw, but as, he, but as he demonstrated. Why? He only, did what he, heard the father, he only did what he saw the Father do. He only said what he heard the Father say. Jesus didn't take it upon himself to create his own way. He said, I will be just like my dad. And he told the disciples, be, do it just like me. That's our example. I don't care what brilliant idea you have. If it hasn't come from Christ, if you can't find it in the Word of God, it is not going to produce the harvest that you want. How many of you guys have led somebody to Christ and just got very frustrated because it just never stuck? I've done a lot of that. And I think a lot of times it's because I'm trying to do it my way. Got to get out of the way. 2 Timothy 2, 4, and 5. So no soldier gets entangled. This thing really wobbles. It's horrible. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit. That's because the bottom is around. That's why. Gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who's enlisted him. An athlete is not crowded or is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. God has established rules that we compete by. Listen, a civilian is to serve, is not to serve. Listen, I'll say it differently. A civilian lives to serve his own needs and desires and does the things according to his own wants and in his own time frames and whatever. However, a soldier doesn't have. We've got some soldiers here. You didn't get it. Ken, did you get up in the morning when you wanted? Did you do the job, the duties that you chose for yourself to do that day? Or were you ordered and you said, yes, sir? That's how we are in the body of Christ. 
But don't we have free will? Absolutely. Listen to the scripture. For we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Listen, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're crazy or if you're in your right mind. We need to be compelled by the love of Christ. Everything that we do has to be compelled by the love of Christ. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Many leave themselves options. Jesus had no other option. He was going to obey the Father. In Luke 22, back in the day with Rick and Carrie and I in Gethsemane, this was a scripture that just really spoke to us, and we, we minister from this all the time. And this was a scripture that, that I led Rick, my roommate, to Christ with. We would go down in the, in the Robinson Hall first floor east uh, lounge where they had a grand piano and write music together. And we were writing this song from this portion of Scripture that said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And the song, Thy Will Be Done, was our altar call song. And it spoke to our prayer, and it was a direct takeaway from how Jesus prayed. And Jesus was the Son of God. But yet he prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. If he had to pray that, how much more do we have to pray that as well? So every step in his ministry, Jesus chose God's option, not his own. So when people wanted to crown him king, he fled. And when Herod wanted him to do miracles, Back in our day of that time, there was prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool if you do that for me. Remember that? Then I'll let you go free. It's a song from Jesus Christ Superstar. Show me a miracle. He refused. When the soldiers came and arrested him, I'm he. They fell to the ground. He could have walked away, but no, he submitted. Why? In his words, I have no other option. When they hit his face, he stayed the course. Why? He had no other option. When they spit on him, I have no other option. When they whipped him, cat of nine tails 39 times that didn't just strap the flesh but tore it out to the point where he was unrecognizable I have no other option when they pressed a crown of thorns on his head Carrie and I in Israel we saw what these they made the crown of thorns out of and the thorns the little ones were this long the bigger ones were about that long and they were not just break easy. They were heavy, and they were pressed into Jesus' skull. And they did that 
was his response? I have no other option. When they crucified him to death, I have no other option. Jesus refused to keep the door of options open. He refused. How many of us walk around with options available to us in the name of free will? And God says you can, but he's chosen a path. He's set an example. He's made a determination of what success in the kingdom looks like, how to live successful, how to produce kingdom results. And our prayer is, God, not my will, but your will be done. Why? I have no other option. In the scripture I just read, are you compelled by the love of Christ? If you leave yourself options, then the love of Christ is not what's compelling you. It takes courage to follow Jesus, and I'm conclude, we'll conclude right here. 11 out of 12 disciples were crucified, or were martyred. John was just boiled in oil, didn't die. It took courage. It takes courage for us. I've lost friends because of Jesus. I've been ridiculed because of Jesus. I've been slapped because of Jesus. I've been punched because of Jesus. I've had a knife pulled on me and stabbed in the stomach three times that never penetrated three times because of Jesus. I've been held at gunpoint because of Jesus, ridiculed because of Jesus, mocked because of him. And it's all cool, and it's all good. Second Peter chapter 1, this is 3 and 4. I'll shut with this. According as his divine power have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, through which he has given to us exceeding great and precious promises, so that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What has your fast done? Has it produced the divine nature of Christ within you? Has it positioned you in a place that you're seeing the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear? Is it causing heaven to move mountains because you speak? Is it causing the voice of the Lord God to be as clear to you, crystal clear to you as you hear, as you listen? If it is, awesome. If it didn't produce that, you know what I encourage you to do? Start again. <laughs> I think there's some in here the Lord has commissioned in you to have a true time of fasting. All right. So with that said, that's kind of interesting message. But uh, I'm going to open up the altar if I have whoever part of the prayer team is here this morning. Come on up. If that's you and you're saying, you know, Chuck, I'm just uh, doing it my own way. I'm not always, the love of God isn't always compelling me, the love of Christ. I just need a, a spark. I need a, a, new, a new thrust 
in my life, a kingdom, Christ, an impartation, whatever you want to call it, a fresh filling. We want to lay hands on you. We want to bring you and help you come into that position in the Lord. Laying on of hands doesn't do it alone. It takes you being in the Word. It takes you being in the presence of God. It takes you that time of fasting and prayer. But God wants to do something great. Is there any other prayer team? Come on up if you're here. If you're not, if you're not part of the team today, that's all right. Who here needs that fresh filling, that fresh move of the Spirit in your life? Anybody? The rest of you are being compelled. The rest of you are seeing all those things follow after you. Awesome. So if that's you and you want prayer for that, I want you to come up. All right? If you are here, you need healing in your body. Does anybody have a word? You have a word? I have a word from the Lord this week that said, within your hands I am placing an anointing to heal back problems. So if you have problems in your back, the anointing is here today. Okay, if you're dealing with a back issue, come on up. Don't wait. Let's get up. Um, I just felt really strong that today that there's, um, well, we're singing that song too, but just like the love of God. Um, there's some people who are struggling, and it's because you have forgotten God's love for you. Um, so I feel like if you want to come up for a touch of that, like an embrace from the Father, um, come up, and I want to pray for you for that. Come on up for that. Anybody else have a word? Let's have a word. All right. I encourage you, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't need to go up for that, Being that, that impartation, that touch. If that crossed your mind at all, you need to come up. All right? If you have some options left open in your, in your quiver for you to go through just in case type things, you need to come up so those doors can be shut. So the only option you have in front of you is the word of God and obedience to the voice of the Lord. We need to pray for you, all right? So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just bless these people today. Thank you, Father, for amazing grace. Thank you, Father, for these people who are called after your name, Lord God, to do exploits, Lord God, to be harvesters, exampling what Christ exampled as they go into the harvest field and producing, Lord God, Father, the fruit, Father, the fruit of their labor is the blind see, the deaf hear, Father, the mute talk, the lame walk, Lord Jesus. Father, sickness and disease is, is healed in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that they are commissioned, Father, by your word. Father, you said to go in the world and preach the gospel, and these signs will follow them. So in other words, we go into the harvest field, but we go, we go with the mandate that you've given us and the empowerment that you demonstrated to produce the fruit that you produced so the kingdom would be evidenced in the sight of all those who see it in Jesus' name. Bless them, Father, with a beautiful week, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take advantage of these people for prayer. The rest of you have a great week.